Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are Spanish football journalist David Cartilage and GFFM writers Eric Devin and Philip Bargeau. We will also be joined by freelance football writer Robin Berner and football hipster podcast host Chris Carpenter late in the show. Well, just like this show, Liga is hotting up with only 10 games go of the season. Excuse me. Can't, but there's a big moment in the midweek for Paris Saint-Germain. Can they finish off the job that they started two weeks ago? Or can the famed Catalan club rise from the ashes at the camp now? All of this and a big look at the relegation battle that's building up in France after the latest headlines. Bordeaux and Lyon got the weekend off to an energetic start, playing a combative and controversial one-all draw at the Stade Matmut Atlantique. While Saturday's early match saw Paris Saint-Germain host Nancy, scraping a 1-0 win that saw the visitors hit the post late on. In the multiplex, goals were at a premium, except in Normandy, where Angers won their fifth straight in all competitions, topping Caen 3-2. Saint-Étienne and Bastia played to a scoreless draw in Corsica. Nice won 1-0 at Dijon, while Metz hosted Rennes and Gangomp travelled to Montpellier in a pair of matches that ended one all. Sunday's early match had Marseille shifting into top gear against a hapless Lorient, winning 4-1 against the division's bottom side to gain ground on their European rivals. Toulouse perhaps could have shown more ambition hosting Lille, but had the chance to win late on, but Martin Braithwaite's penalty went uh, was saved by Anyama and to see the match finish one all. Nantes' trip to Monaco rounded off the weekend and youngster Kylian Mbappé was among the goalscorers again as he notched a brace in a 4-0 win. In Ligue 2, Reims and Lens both won away from home in move into second and third respectively, whilst Brest's shock loss to Ajaxio saw the leaders drop points for the third time in four matches. And that's all for the news, but remember... Head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN for more of our latest news. We start this week in the capital as Paris Saint-Germain prepare for their biggest game of the season. They prepared for that night in the camp now with a tentative 1-0 win over Nancy. Philip, focusing on that game at the weekend first, was it a little too close to comfort against a side fighting against relegation? It was. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I was. I wasn't quite sure about the mic issues. Sorry. Um, it was a bit uh, too too much PSG in in Ligue 1 type with uh, um, not not a lot not a lot of um, of passing intricate passing between between the lines and uh, basically Nancy holding holding quite uh, holding firm wasn't um, was a very defensive performance just like every. Every other side that comes to the Parc des Princes and there's a goal came in um, after 10 minutes. Uh, like I've said on many occasions this season, it's not uh, it's not that hard to defend well against PSG. It's just that uh, some some teams haven't managed to to defend well against against PSG. But uh, uh, they are they are accustomed to uh, to uh, teams um, sitting back. They're not exactly accustomed to teams having a go at them. And I do believe this is what's going to happen on uh, on Wednesday. So yeah, interesting, interesting all round. Not a great game to watch, but uh, interesting all round to see where what happens, uh, what will happen, how first of all how uh, how Barcelona will will react and um, and um, how how the game will will evolve and how Unai will be able to um, to change that because he will he will see he will see Barcelona's resurgence coming. I mean, we are talking about four goals. It's quite big. Um, and it would take something special, but yeah, it's um, one to watch definitely. Yeah, and it was nice to see Gonzalo Guedes get his uh, debut at the start of this game as well. But uh, let, yeah, want... his, yeah. His, uh, his performance. Sorry, I think you're cutting out there, Philip. That's fine. I, I'm gonna bring on our guest now, and that's David Cotley, who's come to talk about their opponents in midweek in Barcelona. Uh, David, thank you for coming on. No problem. Nice to join you guys. Uh, so they had ideal preparation to summarise that they need five goals in this game in midweek to, with a five 0 win against Celta Vigo. How did how did Barcelona fare in La Liga in mid in the uh, weekend? 
Yeah, I think ever since the the PSG defeat, you know, there's been a. I think initially there was a period of period of mourning in Barcelona, and then they've, uh, they've had to react to that. You know, as as great clubs do, you have to react. And uh, I mean, if you look at how they've performed since being defeated by PSG, they've uh, won by a 15-3 aggregate score over four games. So that's a good way to come into this game. And the five nil over Celta, who are an impressive side, you know that they're a good little side, you know, and uh, in Spain, they're, they're not, um, you know, a team that you can just hammer every now and then, you know. Um, so it was impressive from Barcelona, and they come in this. Uh, they've had the perfect warm for this. Yeah, and they've been slowly building back up form as they've slowly crept up into that top position while uh, other teams have. Maybe they had a little bit of a slip up, but there was issues in the midfield in this game against against Paris Saint Germain three weeks ago with the starting of the likes of Andre Gomes as well, who, who particularly unimpressed. Is there a plan maybe to change that in this game, or maybe go for a more attacking sense, or do you see Luis Enrique maybe sticking to similar tactics that he had in that four nil drubbing? I mean, it's Luis Enrique, so I don't, I wouldn't expect anything too wild in terms of uh, changes. Um, I just think there will be more, you know, it's a camp now. It's um, potentially Luis Enrique's, fi- well, it is Luis Enrique's uh, final night, you know, potentially. Um, European night as a Barcelona coach. So it's big. There's a lot put on it, you know, and the, and the camp now will be, um, you know, I think it's a pretty hollow stadium at times, but for a game like this, it will be up, the atmosphere will be up. And uh, I think if any team are, right now are capable uh, of doing or overturning this tie, then it's Barcelona. It may be a little bit of a leading question with Enrique Potable leaving at the end of the season. Do you think the players might rise to this occasion for him? Or is it maybe more of a case of it being their Champions League fates that pushes them onto that next level? I actually think that the, they do feel a little bit bad with how things have transpired because Luis Enrique, you know, he's, he's been a, a coach that has done a lot of work that's been... Well, I don't think it's been appreciated in Barcelona, and I, I think the players understand that as well. They're kind of looking at this guy now. He's walked away. He's he's done it at a time where he's not hanging around. He's not causing any disputes within the squad, really. Uh, open dispute, shall we say? Um, and I think they're going to say, "Come on, let's produce one last performance for this guy," you know. And also the fact that look, this is Barcelona. We cannot be getting knocked out at this stage of the competition. We have, you know, they 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 got aspirations to win this trophy every single year, and they they can't get knocked out now. And it does lead for an interesting affair, even if it did seem like it might be over on that first leg. Eric, I want to bring you in on this as as well and really talk about what PSG will be thinking heading into this one. They have that strong 4-0 lead, but they can't really afford to Barcelona to get a head of momentum on them. What's the tactics from Unai Emery in this one to try and stifle the Catalan club? Well, it's tough to say. I think that we first have to look at what PSG's injury situation will be. Uh, Much like Barcelona, I believe... Correct me if I'm wrong here. I have doubts, uh, David, about uh, Andres Iniesta. PSG also have a few injury issues as well. It's Adrian Rabio, Angel Maria, and Thiago Mata. Now, obviously, Rabio and Mata are, are very important in midfield. If PSG do want to take a more, not necessarily a negative approach, but a more cagey approach, try and hit, hit Barcelona on the counter. Again, one goal will all but end the tie. There may still be a little bit of hope at, at 4-0, but... Uh, getting that away goal, I think, can make a big difference. So I think, you know, we should we should look at uh, PSG setting up in their customary 4-3-3. Mounier will come in for Aurier at right back. I'll probably go with Kimpembe and Silva at center backs. Maxwell, I think, is going to get a return at left back. Just I think he's the kind of big game player, and they we haven't seen Kurzawa play consecutive matches for the most part. And with the Coupe de France having been last midweek, I think we may look at... Uh, Kurzawa um, and Maxwell is, is being rotated there. So if none of those that trio of players is fit, I would probably look for PSG to play a midfield trio of Baratti, Matuidi, and Pastore. Uh, Krakowiak being dropped from the weekend. And then the front three would be Cavani, uh, Draxler, and, and uh, Lucas Mora. In all likelihood. So again, you know, looking at a team that's has that physicality, that uh, that solidity that they need. Again, Rabio and Mato would be nice to have in a match like this, given given their uh, more defensive nature. But I think that Verratti has shown the more he matures, the more he improves, the more he's capable of playing it as a as a defensive midfielder. I, I just want to ask you, David. Can you talk a little bit about Barca's evolution to three at the back they've shown in recent weeks? What is the system? Is it 3-4-3? Three, three? Is it 3-5-2? Uh, 
Uh, Lakeep, we're calling a 352 this morning. We've also seen it call a 343. Is, is that really um, going to get the best out of this team? An attacker, is this just a matter of a, a lower quality of opposition against Sporting Gijon and, and Celta Vigo in the last couple matches? Yeah, it's, it could certainly come into play. I think that's just been tested out against those teams. It just happens to have been against those teams they've tested it out in. Um, but yeah, it's a, I would say it's a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, it's worked very, very well. And it's come late in the day because I think a lot of people have have actually been crying out for some a little bit of innovation. I mean, and this is nothing new. Somebody has played 3-4-3 three, three across the globe somewhere before. But this is what people have, uh, have asked from Luis Enrique. Do something a little bit different. Um, the players have responded to it well. Um, and it's what's been needed at Barcelona for quite some time. Whether it will come into play against PSG will be be interesting to see. Um, whether this stage, whether this game, the magnitude of it is the is the right time to bring it on. I'm not too sure. I think we might see some, we might see classic Barca. Uh, I think you know the, the ball build up from the back, direct through midfield and into MSN's feet, and mm. and that's where they will try and win the game upon. Yeah, and and that's the most important area of the field, and that's MSN again, who were let's say relatively anonymous at the Parc de Prince a couple of weeks ago and especially someone like Messi who's unsurprisingly rebounded from that um, relatively poor performance to put in about, what, six goals and four assists in his last couple of games. Um, he's the man again, isn't he? If, if, if Barcelona can get him rolling and get the team moving again, that's when they start really piling some pressure on PSG, isn't it, David? Yes, I mean... That's the idea behind this 3-4-3 that, that Luis Enrique has said. He's said to create super, superiority in midfield. Now, that is really important because it's it's the one thing I think that uh, it's where Luis Enrique's reign has, has ended, I think, on the midfield, um, quite frankly. And the fact that he said to create super, superiority in midfield against PSG, this 3-4-3, um, is interesting because they needed to do that for a long, long time. That's the problem. That's what happened with the Parc de France. They couldn't get the midfield ticking. They couldn't get the midfield into the game. And, and PSG were fantastic. Don't get me wrong. They, they really, really were. And the, those young kids in midfield really, really stepped up. And, and they showed some maturity against the Barca midfield that was, that was clueless, quite frankly. And they took advantage of that, which is fantastic to see a team do that. But I think Barcelona's got to react. And they've got to be more than MSN. MSN are fantastic. They're one of the, they might be the, they're the greatest trio in football all time. But... They still need a support mechanism and they still need a midfield. See, this is where I think uh, the criticism of, of Luis Enrique is extremely harsh, is that uh, Barcelona's midfield didn't look all that uh, great um, in, the, in the first leg, uh, mostly due to Rakitic not playing. Uh, had Rakitic, he, he, was, he was supposed to be fit, he was supposed to be starting. And I do reckon that if you had Rakitic instead of Andre Gomez, a fit Rakitic as well, and if Iniesta was a bit more fit, uh, the whole game changes. And uh, Rabio doesn't uh, doesn't uh, uh, own every everyone just like just like Verratti. Matuidi doesn't get all this all this freedom. I thought Busquets was playing uh, a bit too uh, a bit too far up at times. I agree. And that's, that's uh, and that's I I don't know I I. I'm not saying that Luis Enrique is a bad manager. I'm not saying that Guardiola is, isn't isn't the uh, the great manager that that he is. But you know, with that midfield trio, um, it 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 really is uh, not as easy to to win games and get ball and get the ball to uh, the the famous the famous MSN who did not. I mean, who two two out of those three players didn't just did not perform. They just weren't. It's like they just weren't there. Especially Suarez. We well, actually Suarez and Messi. I thought Neymar had a pretty pretty good game but you know having having uh, having Andre Gomez instead of Rakitic is just not the same thing and you had Draxler uh, winning rings rings around Andre Gomez and Sergio Roberto when I do I, I do well not worry because I'm not um, I'm not uh, really that uh, that concerned with Barcelona's future but that um, some of the players that are coming out of the academy aren't always going to be Messi's and Iniesta's they are no, going to be no, some some, this, some, this some average players, and it, it's you know it's only it's human nature. You know you can't you can't create superstars all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been poor against Luis Enrique that uh, you know that he hasn't brought through the players from La Masaya, um mm. like previous coaches have. But that, but for him to do that, he has to have the quality there, and that, yeah. quite frankly, the quality in La Masaya has has died down. You know. Before, they were very lucky. They had generations coming through. So five, six players in one team, in one generation coming through. Yeah. Now, they're lucky to get even one. 
Um, I mean, you know, that the, the debate as to why is, is obviously for another day and, and, and probably a Spanish football podcast. But yeah, you know, that this has been a big problem for them. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's my point. It's really not his fault. I mean, no, absolutely not. It was, uh, it was also uh, great to, that Guardiola came into this place, I'm not sure what, what year, and had Xavi Iniesta. Uh, he had uh, Messi coming through. He had uh, all these great players, and uh, he had a great, I mean, don't get me wrong, he had a great reign. He had uh, possibly as a, as, a, as, a, as a greatest reign, especially in Europe since, since I've, been, I've been watching football. But, uh, you know, and we could just get a lot of, a lot of stick. And, uh, you know, he's just, you, you can only work with what you, what you give him, uh, what you are given. And he hasn't been given as much as his predecessors. So, no, absolutely you know, agree. It's, absolutely it's just, agree. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's just harsh on him, really. That's what it is. It's the, it's the uh, problem with the Camden is you, you wish you could churn them out every year. Uh, yeah. Trust me, as a Manchester United fan, if we could only turn the back of the clock and churn out some more 92s, that'd be nice. Um, let's talk about, very quickly, David, that that defence who weren't really sparkling against the part of the Prince, but there's one player especially, in, unsurprisingly, on a French podcast that we're particularly clued up on, and that's Samuel Antuti. How's he done in his first year in Barcelona? And, and obviously, he scored his first goal at the weekend, which was a great news for him as well. Has he settled into the side and, and added more solidity? Because that was a real problem area for, for Barcelona last the season before. Yeah, he's, you know what, he, he's been phenomenal. He really has. You, you, you kind of play it down one bit. He has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, the way he's adapted, settled in, um, life in Barcelona, um, off the field and on it as well, has been fantastic. Um, and he looks like a player who could stay there for, for many, many years. You know, he could play in his 30s in Barcelona. He really does look settled there. He looks a real Barcelona player, um, which is fantastic to see, you know, because, you know, they've had some bad luck with the signings. And we're talking about Andre Gomes, you know, and, and, and he's been terrible. And there's been other signings as well. They haven't really stepped up. Um, another guy like Digne, who's uh, played in and out, you know. Um, but Umtiti has been the one constant of the new signings. And in fact, just of any player at Barcelona, he's been the one constant. He's been fantastic. He's, he's got great assurance on the ball. He's got great assurance off the ball and the way he plays the game. He, he's never flustered. He's always calm. And it's wonderful to see from a young player. Yeah, and I'm sure that will put a big smile on Eric's face being a Leon fan as well. So <laughs> we'll, we'll finish off this talk really with a, a prediction of what we think is going to happen. Now, I'll start with you, Philip. What's your prediction for the game? Um, three one to Barcelona. Eric, I was actually going to say the same thing. Uh, <laughs> you can still say the same thing. Yeah, we're allowed to do that on, the, on this on this version. Yeah, I think that uh, Barcelona have been in, have been looking better with. I just seen the highlights from the last two matches. Have been looking better with this three at the back. I think it does get the best out out of their attacking play. It gives them a little bit more superior in midfield, and I would have to agree with Philip. But I think that you know PSG are are just too good on the counter. And even without Rabio Di Maria, uh, if they don't play, I think the PSG are, too, are still too t talented to get not to not to score once, and that's going to end the tie. Uh, David, do you hold out any hope that Barcelona can completely turn around and make the best comeback in Champions League history? Um, I certainly think it's possible. Um, I certainly think they can, but I'm going to be really boring, and I was also going to go for three one. <laughs> <laughs> I think were you all reading my mind? Great mind. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I was thinking of a three one result. I think PSG are obviously going to slightly come off the gas because the part of the job is done, and one counter attack sort of ends this game. But I hope at least they give it a real go, Barcelona, and, and give us an entertaining one for as long as they can. But thank you, David, for joining us. It's it's been a pleasure to have you on. It's been great talking to you guys, and hopefully I'll come back and I'll tell you all about the uh, the great young French talents in, in Spain, because there's many yeah. of them. Absolutely, and we'll, we'll be glad to have you on. If you want to follow him on Twitter, at David JACAA, he's, he's always a great read as well. Thank you, David. Thanks a lot, guys. Right, we move on to domestic action now, and that's uh, Saint-Étienne, who are in a little bit of a slump, shall we say. There's no win in their last five games in all competitions, and they're slowly slipping away from those places in the Europa League, Eric, uh, what's gone wrong for them in the last couple of weeks? Well, I think that we're looking at uh, a failure to purchase creative players, both in the summer and both in the winter. I know that they did bring in uh, Jorginho from Aruco, and he's looked decent enough, but the fact of the matter is, if we look at this team, there's simply no creative fulcrum outside of Roman Amuma. Amuma's currently injured. I think he's still their leading scorer in the league, or maybe Veras just surpassed him. I believe so. I would Again, he's, the, the point stands that a right winger is, is a scorer in the league, says it all. And this team just does not have 
of what they need creatively. Playing Henri Saive, again, is a lovely player, but he's never a number 10. Jordan Veratou is the same thing. They just haven't invested in a creative creative attacking midfielder. They haven't uh, brought in enough cover for, for Robert Barich and for Alexander Sutherland. Both of those players have missed huge chunks of the season with injury. Uh, Nolan Rue, you know, he'll give you 10 goals, but that's not enough to get Saint-Étienne to the level that they want to be. And I, I think that just a failure to have a more overarching transfer strategy, a failure to invest in a higher quality of player, has really been their undoing. And Christophe Galtier's sides have always been solid at the back, whether it's been Baisal, Perrin, Florentin Pogba, and Lille de Quas look pretty decent this season as well. And they've always had that, but now that you're missing Hamuma, you're missing uh, those attacking fullbacks, Shaken Benge and Kevin Malquit right now as well. That's that's going to be this, this team's undoing it. It's really frustrating to see. And I would say also that despite Santetian giving a decent account of themselves in the Europa League, getting through those qualifying rounds, getting through the group stage, winning the group, I would say that for Liga and for for this league to keep improving and keep developing, I would prefer uh, Bordeaux to go. I would prefer Marseille to go rather than Saint-Étienne at this point in time. And I know that that might seem a little bit controversial. Maybe people are accusing me of Leon bias, but no, both of those teams, Bordeaux and Marseille, have displayed much more of an intent in terms of bringing in talented young players, giving them a chance, and, and playing with a more impressive attacking style than we've seen from Saint-Étienne. So it's a matter of deserving, and it's a matter of what, what I think they can do to have a positive impact on that, those competitions come next season. It's really frustrating to see, you know, uh, how well Sessetian's defense is, has managed to marshal some, some teams on occasion, you know, pinching a point at PSG earlier in the season, the high point, uh, getting some good results in the, when they needed it, and, they, and the chips are down in those uh, Europa League qualifiers as well. But it's just really not come off because of a lack of investment in attacking talent. Roman Hamouma is a decent player, but he's 30 years, uh, 30 or approaching 30 at this point. And Kevin Monifeke, you know, has never been a goal scorer, never been a creative player. He's more about using his pace. And they just haven't, they just haven't had that, what they need in attack. And it's, it's been frustrating to see. Yeah, you exampled it but from Hamouma being the top scorer with six. Monifeke and Rue were on four. Berish is on three. And Peran is on three. So um, there's not many goals in this side is probably the best way to put it. And uh, Philip, I, I wanted to pull up something that I, I, I really enjoyed a quick laugh out of uh, Robert Berich's interview with uh, L'Equipe earlier this week and that him saying that he was not like Cristiano Ronaldo. He always wants to score. He shoots from wherever. However, me, I want to win. So I analysed the situation. He's got good shots to shots on target ratio, as he likes to say. But um, it's a shame that most of them are straight at the goalkeeper, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I think I think it's uh, one part of the problem. I think some players are just not uh, very good in front of goal. Um, some midfielders are just not very good at uh, putting putting the, uh, putting a decent ball in for the striker. Um, not very not especially talented at crossing crossing the ball, and generally not um, not a very threatening threatening side all in all. I also think so. That's that's the first part of the problem is that uh, the quality of the players is okay for, for Liga, but uh, it's okay for upper mid-table. It's probably not okay for, for when you want to challenge for uh, Europa League place or Champions League. The other part of the problem is that um, it's been five seasons where uh, Saint-Étienne finished between fourth and, and seventh, and um, I, I I have no no doubt that it will be a six this uh, in May because uh, they are three points of Rennes, but I just can't see Rennes or Toulouse uh, finishing above above them. I do I do reckon there are some some wins in there, but I just feel that uh, there's a complete lack of um, ongoing ongoing motivation. I mean, sure they can beat Lorient, but you know anybody can beat Lorient. We'll talk about this a bit later. Um, they they beat Lyon, but that's you don't really need extra motivation for that. I just think there's a there's a whole place is uh, is um, is a bit victim of the old uh, same old same old. It's uh, it's all about uh, trying to get in the Champions League, failing, getting into Europa League. Uh, possibly the fans being a bit tired to be playing on a Thursday and then on a Sunday. Um, the support doesn't waver because it's Saint Etienne. It's, uh, it's one of the two best supported clubs in 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 the country. So it's uh, yeah. I, I think uh, a lot of uh, I think the whole place has has become uh, a bit. Um, 
dull in in following uh, in following the club, and that um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, complaints from the uh, from the faithful because you know the the, the faces are pretty much would I, I would complain if I if I were a Saint Etienne fan because of the of the lack of of quality football of 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 investment investment sorry. And and that's yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. And uh, maybe yeah, maybe they need a change of scenery. Maybe they they need a couple of seasons in really mediocre uh, mid-table seasons to uh, to actually to to appreciate what what they've got. But uh, I'm I'm with Eric on this one. I don't particularly want to see Saint Etienne uh, playing Europa League games next season. I, I would much rather see um, see Marseille or Bordeaux, which would make for a change. That leads to an interesting question, Eric, and that's do do Saint Etienne stick with Galtier now? It's been a, a good few years, and they've they've had reasonably good finishes, and he's never really done a bad job at all. In fact, he's done probably a great job. But is it maybe a change of scenery for him and the team? The right sort of movement towards this sort of middling out season? Yeah, I think so. I think that there are certainly some intriguing candidates available. Uh, Frederick Hans, I think, could do a good job. I think he did well at Montpellier, had the rug pulled out from under him. I think, you know, so soon after the transfer window to get let go by Montpellier didn't make a lot of sense. He had that team play attractive attacking football uh, on the counter. And I think that Saint-Étienne, with that solid defense, uh, offer a similar sort of template to what Montpellier had as well, but with a little bit of a higher quality of player. I think if you can get him a, a pacey striker, um, they did look really good with with Hans at at the at the helm. Uh, as for Galtier himself, you know it's it's a shame to see this, but the fact of the matter is he hasn't. If he's the one handling the transfer business there, he hasn't he hasn't done it right. Uh, his tendency for center forward tends to be these these bigger, less mobile players. Whether it's a Barrich, Soderlund, I know Rue is a little bit more mobile than either of them, but. He doesn't tend to look for players that can that can play on the counter like that that you'd necessarily want to see from a team that's so solid defensively and it, and that's what's that's what's behind this that's what's bitten them not having a a quick pacey uh, center forward you know I'm not saying they could afford someone on, the, on this level but someone like a Lacazette uh, or someone like someone like that that's that's quick and and is is a good finisher as well I know those don't grow on trees but the fact of the matter is it's not necessarily how the money's been spent, it's what type of player the club invested in as well. Yeah, yeah. I wish those players grew on trees. That would be ideal. <laughs> but um, just, just to finish off, really, uh, we, we want to send our best wishes to Vincent Pajot, who was knocked out in that game against Bastia. It was a, a little bit of a sickening blow, but it's great to hear that he, he's up and he's, he's okay and that should he should be back in a couple of weeks, it seems. Do, do we... Um... Do we think that any of those three, so Bordeaux, Marseille, and Saint Etienne, can actually challenge Lyon in the long term? Uh, because Lyon do have to play the Europa League. Uh, now that Saint Etienne have been knocked out, um, I mean, is it? I mean, I, I, I personally don't think so. I think Lyon have a uh, force pretty much settled. But you know, they're only four points clear of Bordeaux with a game in hand. God knows when this is going to be played. Um, they schedule it. It's the first week of April. Oh, good. Um, and uh, yeah, so what, what do you think, Eric? I mean, uh, have you have, have four settled or no? I think Leon were lucky uh, to escape with a draw against Bordeaux on Friday. I think that's that's mm. the answer right there. Bordeaux are young; they do have the Coupe de France going on, um, but that's only three more matches at, at most. Uh, and they're young, they're hungry. There's competition for places throughout the team now that, especially even in center, in central defense, now that Jovanovic has come in. Those players are going to want to do their best to continue to impress and to push up the table. And I think we've, we've said this time and again that in Ligue 1, the ability to put the ball in the back of the net makes the difference, and Bordeaux have that. They've been a little bit iffy at the back at times, and they, but I think that they seem to be a little bit better now that Carrasco's back in the team. His injury spells, they hadn't done so well defensively at that point in time earlier in the season. But they look solid at the back. They look incredible going forward. Valentin Vada. Is a is a really dynamic presence in midfield. You've got that that front three with Kamino, Laborde, and uh, Malcolm. And Adam Lass is another capable player as well. Jeremy Menez seems to be finding his feet a little bit more than he has in recent weeks. 
yeah, Bordeaux are a complete team, and I think a much more complete team, especially when you consider Leon's defensive issues in the recent past. Yeah, and but they'll finish fifth. <laughs> you asked me if there was a chance, and I say yes, there is a chance. I don't okay. think by any means Leon have fourth fourth zone up at this point. Mm. But I, I actually haven't uh, been uh, been watching enough of them uh, to to say, but uh, I do I do reckon that Marseille and Saint-Étienne may have too many flaws uh, to finish to finish fifth. Yeah, I would probably concur with that as well. We'll we'll, we'll move on as we finish this week with a, a blockbuster relegation segment. So with 10 games to go and heading into that mid-March period where everyone gets the shaky knees, um, let's see who's really struggling at the bottom of the table. So joining us now is uh, Football Hipsters podcast host, Chris Carpenter, and, and Robin Berner will be joining us later. Welcome to the show, Chris. Good evening, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to have you on. I'll start with your side, really, Chris and Lorient, and uh, they've been rooted to the bottom of the table since mid-October. And uh, f- after that four-one defeat at the weekend to Marseille, they're five points adrift now. Are they doomed? <laughs> uh, straight off the bat, let's go in deep. Um, I, it's looking likely. I have to say. I mean, I've I've followed them fairly closely for particularly the last couple of years um i've sort of followed them off on and off for a number of years but the most recent years it, it's been it, i don't know whether it's been coming but this season it is it really has come quickly um i i i had a look at the fixtures before i came on tonight and just sort of re-familiarized myself with what they got and I, I saw the looming psg fixture and i thought crikey that's that's quite the fixture to go into next after a full one drubbing at home i i think they're gonna have to win at least three of the next six fixtures have any chance. I think, you know, anything short of that, I think they're doomed. Um, but to be honest, if if I take off my um, my hat of supporting them, I, I think they are gone anyway because I just don't I don't see where the next win's coming from. To be honest, I don't even see where the next draw's coming from at the moment. It was suicidal defending almost at times at the weekend. I mean, there was an occasion where Zago Torre wanted about 20 minutes on the ball at the back. The back. There was, there was, a, there was a, 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 an issue with the home comp. So that was a bit of a worry as well. Um, heading forward, is there is there any hope? I mean, there's Nancy in two weeks' time. Con, they've still got to play in Bastia and Metz. Chris, is, is there any hope for them, really? Um, I think, looking at those fixtures, I think they have to win. I mean, PSG, I personally think you can just write that off even even now, um, particularly depending on what happens with the Barcelona tie. I still think PSG will win that comfortably. Um, the Nancy away game, I think, is must win. The, the Khan home game is must, must, must win, like 100% must win. Leon away, can't see anything there. Montpellier, can't see anything there. And then obviously it's it's uh, Mets at home, which is an, another must win. The, the trouble is there's so many fixtures that are sandwiched between that. As I said, PSG, Leon, I think Nantes away. I can't see them winning. Bastia away. Okay, Bastia not in great form themselves, but that's a few weeks down the line. It's never an easy trip to Corsica. Angers have improved there in, in line as well. Uh, the thing I have a real issue with at the moment with Lorion is not only they're getting turned over, they're getting turned over comfortably by teams and especially at home, which obviously before the, the, the plastic pitch was removed, that was a massive equaliser this season that's gone and it's really shown. And, and they, they just look like a side that they really don't know whether they're coming and going. You mentioned Zago Toure yesterday. I, I can't remember a worse performance at centre-back. In, in all the times I've watched French football, it was just appalling. Um, and this is a side Marseille that I think I tweeted yesterday. They've just come off of a, a 5-1 battering at home, albeit against a PSG side that, that are in form at the moment. And and to just lie down and to be 4-0 down, I mean, it could have been 8 or 9. And I, I, just, I just don't think, unless they win those games, the two games I really look at are the non-C and Khan game. I think they have to win those back-to-back to have any hope. I think anything other than two wins in those games, and I just can't see them getting out of it. Yeah, also, the point of goal, of goal difference, isn't there? It's yeah. almost, it, it almost feels like uh, not just five points from the playoff place, but almost six, because minus 29 is... Is 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 the worst in the league, and the only one close is Mets, and uh, I'm not uh, I'm not even sure they they they're going to be uh, where where they're going to be either. Mm, Thirty was it? Thirty four goals conceded away from home this season. I mean that that is relegation form. That's that that is really and was it five? I think it's five wins from fourteen at home, 
Um, you know, it's, it's you, you could honestly see PSG if they get through against Barca, which I hope they will. You can see them rocking up and and putting another four or five past them next weekend, and then where do they go from there? It's I just I, I think until they get that defence sorted out, I, I think they'll always score goals with sort of Makanjo and, and Waris, a, a decent centre forwards. You know, I've always quite liked Benjamin Jano. I know he's not elite centre forward, but I think he'll get you a goal or two. They've got some decent wide players, but if they can't keep the door shut, it's pointless because they can score two and concede five. It's it's just a vicious circle at the moment. The thing with Lorient is that um, it's uh, it's a kind of club that yeah has a, a small budget, is um, uh, doesn't want to get to, to get too big for for itself. Had a lot of the Gourcuff effect, Christian Gourcuff, um, and um, basically uh, didn't exactly keep them up by himself. He he did a he did a very good job. He's a very good manager, but you don't uh, you don't feel uh, some uh, some type of uh, we need to save uh, the. Uh, uh, private lawyer in in this uh, kind of way. You, you, it's like it's okay, like, well, we'll yeah. go down, and we'll probably go up, uh, go back up next season. It's, uh, I mean, in France, it's that type of club, and I'm not quite sure the uh, the, the board is um, is that uh, you know devastated by by the result. It doesn't. They, they actually, they don't seem not not worried, but not as um, you know um, really worried like uh, like the car board would be in the same situation. I wanted to piggyback off that very quickly, if I could. Uh, Chris, I want to ask, are you frustrated with the lack of reinvestment that this club have made? They made quite a bit of money from Guerrero and Dong, something to the tune of 30 million euro, I believe. But we haven't seen that back in. We've seen Stephen Barrera brought in. We've seen Pabernet brought in from Bastia. We've seen Wacaso brought in. But again, none of these players are on that 5 million, 10 million euro level. They're going to make a difference to a team battling relegation. Is that something that they should be looking at, should have been looking at doing, or was relegation inevitable by not reinvesting that money? Um, it's a massive frustration for me. Um, I, I don't have pick clubs because in England I'm an Arsenal fan and, and talk about reinvestment and the board. Um, I could talk to you for hours about, about what clubs that I follow. Um, and it has got a reek of that. I. The trouble I've got, and I think Philip made a good point now. I, I don't, I don't really see where Lorient are going. I don't. The the project that that was taken on, and as you mentioned, Gorkouf, obviously he took them on to a, I wouldn't say a high level, but he took them into being a comfortable mid-table side that would have a decent season, maybe flash around the European places and then fall away. This season, I just I don't see what the remit was, other than getting low, sell high. The the Indong deal, I think they had to take the money because you know he's a decent midfielder. I, th- I don't know if he's any more than that. Maybe a you know a, a passable midfielder, but I don't think he's elite level. Um, and my my big concern now is that you look at the two assets they've got. I've mentioned them already: Makanjo and Waris. Remember when they sold a Bubakar? Um, Waris and Makandra strike me as another two that will be the first out the door. I was surprised one of them didn't go in January, actually. I think maybe he would have done if they got the, the big bid. But I just don't see where this money's gone. <laughs> there, there is no investment in players that, that could dig them out of this situation. I, I, I actually thought Paper Ness was a, a decent signing. Um, I, I thought they needed something at the back, um, and, and I thought Marrera was potentially a, a player that would, would step forward this year, and he has at, at some points. But there's there's no player that you look at in that side now and you say, okay, he's come in, he'll make the difference. Um, and I, I'd love to know how much money was made available from those big sales, because it doesn't. It looks like what I would call a stale squad. Um, and was it 26 players they've used this season? I can't pick out more than two, maybe three players that have progressed this season. In fact, if anything, they've gone backwards. Um, Test no microphone. More, none, none more so than uh, Benjamin Lecomte, who obviously didn't have a greatest day on, on Sunday either, and he was a goalkeeper I thought would do very well. So I, I would love to know where this money's gone. And, and and if it is staying in the bank, what's the point? Because they're not going to get any decent players in the league door with with the money sat in the bank. So uh, I just don't see what what the where the project is going. And this is this where we're going to ask: uh, Did they make a mistake in sacking Ripoll? Or Massively. Was, yeah. Okay. I think so. I mean, and I, I've been you're probably more of an, an expert than I in truth, but 
I I think Kasani was a huge under, uh, just an underwhelming signing. Um, what he's trying to do doesn't seem to work. I thought Corbis was probably the best option out there. I don't know whether you guys agree, but I I just. Ripoll had an awful start to the season. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But he didn't strike me as a guy who would continue it forever. I did. I saw some signs that he could get it back around, and it, it struck me as a bit of a knee-jerk decision. But there's knee-jerk, and then there's, in my opinion anyway, downgrading. Um, I don't know what what you guys think of that. But I agree. I think Cassoni's got more of a team in an attacking sense, but they're so poor at the back. I personally would have rather seen Hubert Fournier. He was another one that was in the mix. I, th- I think that he did decently at times at Leon. He was perhaps undone by the team's transfer strategy. Probably deserves another chance at some point. Yeah, but yeah, I, I-, I agree. I-, I don't think that Cassoni keeps this team tight enough at the back to warrant his his current position. I mean, there's there's goals in this team, you know, especially with Ali Adair looking a little bit sharper in the last month or so. It- there's no reason this team should be in this in the position they're in. Not bottom anyway. Relegation would be a worry, but not bottom. Yeah. Fournier is a good shout as well. I agree with that. I think he he was the other option that, and I, I think I'm right in saying he was was he available? Was there? I think there was talks and is it something to do with his media commitments that he he was? That, well, that was Corbis. Oh, that was Corbis. Of course, it was. Sorry, I get yeah. the two confused. But yeah, Fournier, Fournier was the other option. Yeah, definitely was, was back staff. But I think he wanted to bring more backroom staff, and they weren't, and they weren't right. having that bit. That was the problem. But we'll move on to another team that's fighting relegation, and in this section, we'll bring in freelance football writer Robin Byrne. And welcome to the show, Robin. Hi guys, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, so we'll go on this topic of Bastia now, then, who are uh, the second bottom team at the moment. And they've had an astonishing run of eight red cards in their last nine games, which almost seems impossible. Um, uh, how did they turn things around? I mean, the Furiani is a real fortress for them, and that's helped them gain a couple of points. But can is that enough for them to stave off relegation this season? Well, <clears throat> um, I don't think their home form's actually been good enough. Um if you look at it, they've had a whole lot of draws, uh, and and when they're playing at home, um, particularly against the sort of weaker teams, they really need to be to be winning some games. Um, I, I don't think they've actually won very many games at home at all all season, um, and I think that's been one of their major problems. Because as you say, in the past, that's been a, a real strength for them. Uh, they've obviously got quite a bit of attacking talent, although we've seen Alan San Maximum, who's been quite highly rated. Uh, you know, he's, he's caused a bit of a divide in the squad. We saw Gilles Sione uh, the other week having a bit of a go at him uh, for suggesting that he's perhaps not uh, he's perhaps not effective enough. Uh, he, he's maybe more interested in you know clever dribbles and, and making opponents look stupid than, than he is in actually doing anything sort of productive at the other end of the field. Um, and at the moment, they've obviously got uh, Enzo Crivelli out with a hamstring problem. And until they get him back, I think they're going to be in a, a fair bit of trouble in terms of scoring goals. So they really need to be able to start keeping ten player, uh, sorry, eleven players on the park, uh, cut down the red cards, and um, just get back to what they're what they're good at, which is basically scrapping, um, and and just you know you know getting over the line somehow. Yeah, and it's perennial red card master Kawasaki, who's got many of those red cards as well. It seems this season, and as you mentioned, yeah, three, the three wins at home this season—that's not what you expect from them. But have they got the defence to hold out against teams? I mean, there's a three-nil defeat to Angers a couple of weeks ago. There's four-one at Toulouse. There's a seven-nil loss in the cup to Paris Saint-Germain. Have they got enough at the back to sort of let keep teams out and, and show the frustration? Because they had decent games at home, at least against Monaco and Nice and, and Paris Saint-Germain, where they, they showed they could be have a little bit of steel at the back there. Yeah, they certainly showed that. But at, at the same time, they've, they've struggled to get a bit of, uh, of balance. Uh, and until they get that, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. I, I think if they, they just concentrate on defending the... They're actually not too bad a team, uh, but it's, it's it's getting the balance of being able to defend and attack at the same time, and and work out a way of getting these these wins that they've been bereft of, I guess, this season. Um, you know, if you look at the defenders individually, I don't think they're particularly good, and uh, they're not particularly good as a unit either. Uh, and of course, it's not been helped because uh, Kuzak's been sent off so many times, and when he's not playing, they're just they're just not as effective because he's obviously such an important player for them in the middle of the park in terms of breaking play up uh, and making life difficult for opponents. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, they just they just really need to start tightening up their discipline uh, and and finding a way of striking a balance between defence and attack. I, I honestly think now it's too late for them. I think they'll they'll probably go. And he makes a great point about Kawasaki's best described as combative, and that's probably being a little bit complimentary <laughs> in all honesty. Um, Eric, I wanted to mention a player who I've particularly enjoyed at Bastia this season. <clears throat> it's probably been the main reason they're not already down, and that's Jean-Louis Lecca. Um, what a difference could would it be for that team if they lost a player like him or didn't have someone like him in their ranks? I actually think that his backup, Thomas Vincenzini, has been all right. Uh, I think that Lecca gets... Lecca, to me, is... Like Vincent and Yama light. They're both not <laughs> the biggest keeper, but they have a, a tendency to pull off the spectacular. And I think that that's, in some ways, that gives them a better reputation than they might have otherwise. That they're able to make these fantastic saves that catch the eye, that show up on highlight reels. But sometimes they can be not that great in terms, in terms of their aerial presence, not that great in terms of their positioning. And that's, that can let them down at times. Uh, I'd like it certainly better than Vincenzini, but I, I don't think that his being with the team uh, would make a huge difference at this point in time. I think that their attacking issues are much more pressing. We have to only look at the, look at the team's record with and without Crivelli. I think his injury has been a huge difference. We've seen how effective the Bastia have been in the past, playing somewhat negatively but having a big physical outlet, and that, and that really makes a difference, whether it was Brandao in, in the years past or Anthony Modest going back a few seasons now. But it's, it's been a formula that that team have have lather, rinse, repeat, and it's been really successful to have that big physical presence who can play as a lone striker. And without that, you know, they've tried Sadio Diallo there, they've tried Florian Rasmentino there, they've tried Lenny Nangis there. It just hasn't come off. And I think that the absence of the Bordeaux Loni is really what's making the difference now, more so than more so than Lecker or, or any other goalkeeper. Mm, and it's, I think saying is uh, Vincent and Niyama is absolutely perfectly describing me. I couldn't think of a better comparison than that. Um, another team that are struggling down there, but they're, they're currently in that relegation playoff spot. If I, if I may say uh, um, something about Bastia, I think it's just, it's, it, you see, this is exactly, not the exact opposite, but there really is a kind of club that want to be uh, Corsica uh, number one. And uh, them being in Ligue 1 and all the Ajaccio club being in Ligue 2 while it suits them. And I think this is that, that, that's just it. They really, really don't want, to, don't want to, 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 to go down. And you see a different level of, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, arrogance about, about the place uh, than you have at Lorient. It's really two, two different things. But, you know, they keep getting players sent off. So playing, playing with 10 men every week is, is a bit harder than playing with 11. That's just what. I wanted to mention. It's, it certainly doesn't help matters. Um, no. Like, we'll mention, like I say, the team in that relegation spot and that, uh, well, relegation playoff spot, excuse me, and that's Dijon. But, Robin, is it fair to say that there's a possibility for Dijon simply because they have someone like Lois Dioni and, and Tavares that get goals? Does that Because that can make such a difference at the bottom of the table. Yeah, but equally, I think we've seen Lorient as well. Lorient have got some goal scorers, but they're not finding the net. Um Tavares and Dioni actually seem to have a bit of confidence about them though and um, they really seem to have a bit of sort of um, vivacity that, that perhaps uh, the Lorient attackers are missing and I've particularly been very taken with Dioni this season. I think he's he's done really superbly, he's, he's contributed so much in open play and obviously his goals have been impressive too. Um, Tavares is just, he's, he's a bit unorthodox uh, but, he's, but he's finding the net too which is obviously very useful um but yeah i, I think i I've, I've really liked watching dijon this season i they've been uh, i've loved their attitude on the park it's always been really quite positive i think uh, the weekend against nice was perhaps a bit of an exception but they've always had a bit of uh, sort of bravado about them they're they seem quite confident and they'll go and take the game to opponents they're willing to attack they're willing to press the ball high um, and yeah, I do definitely think that somebody like Leo, Luis Dione is capable of firing them of, of problems. And to be honest, I'd quite like to see them pull away from the relegation zone or the relegation playoff as it is at the moment um, and, and get away just because, just simply because of the, the way they've played. It's been very attractive and it's, it's, it's been a breath of fresh air for a promoted team particularly. 
Yeah, and at a club like that, that it was personified, I think, by that game in December against Conway. They were three 0 down and a man down, and they still clawed and fought and wanted to play football and, and manage a three three draw. And and games against coming up against Bastyr at home, which might as well be a free hit at the moment, and then a couple of mid table clubs to finish the season, they might just have a chance. And that pulls a couple more teams into the equation because there's not only a huge gap from those above them, uh, Eric. And I wanted to mention Nancy, who put in an admirable performance against Paris Saint-Germain at the weekend, but uh, came away with nothing in the end. They've scored a relatively pitiful 18 goals this season, but their defence is not too bad. (coughs) They surely need to start scoring more goals, don't they, though, if they want to avoid the drop? Yeah, I think that's the frustration with Nancy. We saw a lot of these teams affect some sort of posit- positivity in the transfer window. Ian Dijon bringing in Hadadi and uh, the Korean guy, uh, Kwon, Kwon Hoon, I'm not sure what the name name order is for Koreans, Chang Hoon Kwon. Uh, they're attacking creative creative players. Hadadi's an attack-minded fullback, but I mean, what did we see from, from Nazi? We didn't see, we saw a lone player come back in. I believe they were the only club not to bring in any players to the window. I'm not sure if Khan did either. But, no, Khan didn't either, but again, Nazi, you know, they're, they didn't make an attempt to stave off relegation. I think that that's going to be the issue. If you're relying on Anthony Cora, Junior Dale for goals, it's just not going to come off. These aren't, they don't have a, a proven goal scorer that can be an outlet for that attack. Yeah, they're well organized in defense, whether they're playing five at the back or whatever, but it's not, it's not enough. Nazi are, are going to be, I, I would say they're, for me, they're the most likely to end up in that playoff spot because I haven't watched them in, at any point this season. I've probably seen them a dozen times, 15 times. I haven't at any point watched them and said, wow, this team looks good to me. I, I said that about Mets. I said that about Lorient. I even said that against about Bastia when Crivelli was playing as well. I'm not sure what the diagnosis is, is on his injury feature, but I've never said that about Nazi. They're, they're, you know, I, I, don't, I know style's not a, a make-or-break criterion for staying up, but Nasi's aesthetics are so poor. You compare that to the way that the way that Dijon play and, and the way that other teams down there try to play. Even even Nicole, even Angers recently playing playing this three five two. There's just not there's nothing of that from Nazi. And, and I think that because of that, because of their lack of activity in the winter window, they've really set themselves up uh, for a big fall. Yeah, just reminding myself, 18 goals in 28 games. That's astonishingly... I can't believe that they've scored that many goals. That's ridiculous. Um, but to a team that, Chris, we, some might say are maybe too big to do go down or too good to go down in, in Lille, <coughs> they've had a, a diff- they had a poor start to the season. They sort of recovered a little bit, but they're still middling. They got a good result against Toulouse at the weekend. Are they too good to go down? Um, ask West Ham fans about that tag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, Leo, they really intrigue me. Um, obviously, the the Bielsa stuff is is there for the future. I was having a, a joke with um, a guy I do a podcast with John, um, who's a, a keen follower of Serie A, and he was talking about obviously when Bielsa kind of said no to Lazio on a flight, um, and I had this um, this thought of of him sort of frantically turning his car around as on the way to sign a Lille contract and going, actually, do you know what? I won't bother. Um, <laughs> the project is exciting, but I don't know about, about you guys. It feels like they've tried to change too much too soon. Um, obviously getting rid of, of Colo is, was a, I don't know if it's a strange decision. I, I suppose it was sensible given where they were going. Um, and then bringing in Frank Passy seems sort of like a sideways move. And was it seven players in January? I think it was seven in one day. Yeah, in one day. Yeah. Um, and granted, some of those players potentially will be decent signings. Um, and I think in, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of, of Nicolas de Preville. Um, Ricardo Kishner is one that we haven't seen a lot of yet, but was very highly thought of, funnily enough, at Lazio. Um Benzia, the enigma that is Benzia, obviously got a goal at the weekend, but I'm not sure anyone's really sold. And I think Shaka is the other one that people say it could be a really good signing. I'm a little bit gutted that Eder hasn't been great because he was one that I rather foolishly tipped to be quite good and he's been pretty terrible everywhere he's been since I said it. But that you look at their squad and, and like you say, that they look too good to go down. Um, but 
the longer this goes, the longer this run goes, you do wonder, are they going to accumulate enough points? I think the game with Bastia in, in three weeks is huge. Um, obviously, they got they got Nancy away next, which is equally huge. Um, hosting Marseille, you just never know what you're going to get with Marseille, do you? So I, I suppose that could be one that you could put down to a pick em. And then after that Bastia game, Monaco and Nice back-to-back. It, I, 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 I'm much, much like Lorient, I think they need to win those two biggies, which for me are Nancy and Bastia. Um, and, and they just strike me as a little bit bipolar at the moment. Um, and they don't seem to score a lot of goals. I don't know what the actual, uh, how many have they scored this season? Was it 27? Yes, it's, not, so, yeah. it's not a huge amount of goals, is it? And, and that's kind of my worry. Minus nine goal difference as well is not ideal. So I think they probably are just about too good to go down. Uh, too good to go down, but it's not because of how good they are. It's more about the teams that are worse than them rather than the other mm. way around. I think. Plus, you know, the wait and see effect. Yeah. You know, mm. Chekhov, Gazi, they look they look quite quite good. So, just uh, I, I think we'll see their true value in at the beginning of the uh, of next season. Chekhov's yeah, I mean, now. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And if if yeah, Bielsa comes and in, actually, yeah. I, I was just going to say, if Bielsa comes in, I, I don't know what the, the financial situation is with the players they brought in now, but is mm. he going to, has he had a say in these signings or is he going to come in and say, no, I want a whole new squad because you, you know what he's like with regards to uh, to how he sets things up and how he plays. It's only one mm. way. So is he going to look at this squad and go, actually, we need to strip this all away mm. again? If so, what was the point? I have a feeling he might have had a little bit of a say in it. I think. Um, <laughs> might be right. Yeah, uh, we'll quickly go through the final two teams that we'll say from Montpellier might be just about safe enough now. But Robin, I wanted to talk about Mets who've recovered really fashionably in the last couple of weeks, and that's mainly down to their January signing, Sheikh Diabato, who scored five in six games. He's been an absolutely massive difference for this club, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been outstanding. Um, he's. He, again, he's a sort of ungainly striker, but he's a guy who's going to score goals. And when you're down at the bottom of the table, you you, you really need somebody who's who's just going to put the ball in the net. He doesn't look particularly pretty. He'll do some really daft stuff at times, but he'll get goals. And he's certainly proven himself to be a bit more effective than, than Mevla Erding at that. Uh, and he'll, he'll just keep scoring goals too. He, you know, if he, if he gets chances, he'll score. Uh, and that, you know, I think that's going to make make the difference for Mets. I don't see them getting drawn too much into into the relegation dogfight now, particularly after they had that two point penalty uh, taken away from them at the end of last week. That was a, a real bonus for them too. Yeah, absolutely massive to get that out of the way. And, and yeah, Diabati sometimes looks like Bambi on ice sometimes when he's when he's playing football. But it, it's effective, if not if not beautiful, at least. But finally, Caen, who are another side that have some interesting attacking players, really, Philip, and they they tend to put on little runs of one nil wins that get them back out of trouble. But can the, could they sink back in? They are so strange um, mm. at the at the start. Shall we say at the after a third of the season? There was this um, this uh, showing by the fans saying that the players weren't giving enough. Then they beat Nice, which was an absolute shocking result. Uh, and then they go on and, and have some cup of of a quite quite terrible results. And they're then well, actually not not in some kind some kind of a rut because uh, they they had uh, uh, three three defeats in a row in uh, in February. So Bordeaux, Dijon, and Lille scoring no goals, conceding uh, seven, which is pretty bad. And then you've got two wins in a row out of nowhere, winning at Saint-Étienne, uh, being quite solid, uh, having uh, Saint-Étienne and Rodelin not playing, not playing too badly. And then you've got you've got this defeat against Angers. It's like it's a, it's a it's a to- um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a toy cost between uh, if they're going to win to win or not. I mean, this 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 side uh, quite rarely draws, just just four draws in twenty eight games. That has to be. I'm not sure if it's the lowest in 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 the actually actually I believe Lorient has has the same or equal equal lowest because it's either win or win or lose. It's uh, you've got it's it's all or nothing. Um, and but I I do believe that they've got the right system playing five through two desperately into their into their hands, especially against big boys. Um, and um, well, the, the thing is it is that uh, they'll need to be to be safe before the, the last uh, by the 34th match day because the last four games are Marseille, Toulouse, Rennes and a final trip to PSG who will probably be fighting for the title by that time. So, um, 
they just have to do it against uh, against uh, the small sides as well, and they're just not doing that. It was proven against uh, against Angers, so there's still a very very big chance that they don't go down. Saying this, I do not think uh, I do not think any side above more pre above Caen are uh, at all concerned by relegation. I think more than thirty points at this stage is more than enough to stay up. Yeah, that's absolutely where the cut-off point looks to be as it's slowly going yeah. into that last third of the season. Uh, just very quickly, I'm going to go with predictions then. So, Robin, who are your bottom two and who's going to be in the relegation playoff? Uh, the bottom two will be as they are now, so I'm going to fall for Lorient and Bastia. And in the playoff will be Nancy and they will win the playoff. Chris? <laughs> Lorient, sorry. Um, yeah, Lorient for me, um, I actually think Khan are in real trouble. Um, I think they'll go. And I think in the playoff, uh, I'm going to say Nancy out of push. Eric? Uh, current bottom two and Nancy. And it, the playoff depends who they get. If they get someone like Ras, Trois, that have a decent attack, I, I, I could see them losing the playoff as well. Philip? Current bottom two and uh, Mets. And I pretty sure they want to play off no matter yeah, who is it against i'm gonna go for the the clean sweep for lorient as well and probably bastia look cut to drift in Nancy to lose a playoff i think to whoever they play i think whoever they end up playing maybe a bit too confident bit more adventurous up front and that might see them struggle uh that's all that we have time for this week my thanks to robin chris david eric philip and to everyone listening at home join us for the preview show hosted by eric on thursday and we will see you here at the same time same place next week i'll be on tall and goodbye